Well, turning your Bibles, of course, to Matthew 28, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the King of the Jews. That's what we've been seeing. We're in the last section, the very last part of the book. We've seen the death and the resurrection of Christ. And so last time we saw his first two appearances, and they were to the women. And we saw, basically, we have a living Savior. Jesus Christ is alive. We have a Savior now who is ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This morning, as we continue, we're going to see two things. First of all, we're going to see the story. Story, the story by the guards, what they come and say, what happens, and then the offer of the money. And then we're going to see another of the appearances of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see as we look at the passage this morning, think about this, we're going to see a lie and the truth side by side. And we'll see how that ties together. There's a lot of great things. Well, you know, one of, the, one of the things that I've noticed in our world today is that our society thinks that money is the answer to solving every problem. If there's poverty, you put money into it. If there's social rules, you put money into it. Whatever's wrong with any country or any people, you just give more and more money. One psychologist said that America has money sickness. Uh, Patrick Henry once said, give me liberty or give me death. Modern people seem to say, give me. And that's, uh, that, that's part of the problem. One of the things, I remember Prof. Hendricks at Dallas Seminary said, uh, you can tell a lot about a person from two books, two books, uh, and they are the date book, what they do with their time, and their checkbook, what they do with their money. So what do you think about money as we look at it? Well, one of the reasons I bring that up is we're going to see that the religious leaders think that money will solve their problems. See, they give a large sum of money to the, to the guards. The guards come and say, an angel came, rolled away the stone, Jesus is not in there, uh, we, we don't even know what to do. And they think, okay, how are we going to cover up this? And they think that a large sum of money will do it. And, and we're going to see how that fits together. Money is not the answer necessarily. In fact, there are two things we'll look at, the guards and their story and the appearance of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let me break down the passage for you this morning. Actually, going to be in two different places. We're going to see the guards in Matthew 28, 11 through 15, of course. That's, we see their story, what the religious leaders do. They pay them off, and then the story that they make up. So it's actually two things. There's a lie there. And then we're going to see Jesus appears. This is a famous passage. We've seen it a number of times. Jesus appears on the road. He teaches, and then he actually appears to those people. And we'll see who they are, the best we can tell, and those kind of things. So the next few weeks, we're going to basically sort of focus on the appearance of Jesus Christ. That's what we're seeing. Of course, uh, Matthew, we could just go straight all the way through and we'd be through, but I think it's important as we've been doing, once Jesus got to the cross, we saw all the things that happened on the cross, had to go to the different Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now as we see his resurrection, we have to go to different places to see that as well. Well, let's begin. Last time we saw the first two appearances of Jesus after his death and resurrection. We saw Matthew gave us information about the guards, and we saw what happened to the guards who were at the tomb. If you go back to verse 4 of Matthew 28, it says, The guards shook for fear of him, of the, of the angel, and became like dead men. They just fainted. The angel then rolled away the stone, they fainted, and then later on they got up and left and went, and, and, no, and we're going to see where they went and what they did. Look down as we'll start at verse 11, and this is talking about the guards. The women have seen the, the angel. The angel said, "Don't you're looking for him, but he's not here. He's risen just as he said. Come look at the place. Go tell the disciples. And so the women have taken off. And so as you look at verse 11, it says, now while they were on their way, that's the women on the way to go tell some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest 
all that had happened. They come in there, they come into the city, they go straight to the priest, because you remember, it's the priest idea, the chief priest of the rulers, uh, the religious leaders in Israel who had gone to Pilate and said, we got to guard the tomb because they might come steal the body or something like that, and it look really bad. So they had some Roman soldier guards. Now when the guards fainted, when they saw the angel, when they saw everything, they come running in and they go straight to the Jewish leaders. They don't go, let me tell you, they wouldn't go to Pilate. I mean, they wouldn't go to Pilate and say, we fainted. They didn't want to say that, see? So they, when they assembled with the elders, of course, they came and they t- went to the chief priest and they talked all about that what had happened. They said, it's empty. He's not there. And they went to the chief priest. Linsky is a, a Bible scholar and not necessarily conservative in the sense of clear on the gospel, but he's really clear at a lot. He does a really good job as far as the Greek study. He said this. He said, the very soldiers who were ordered to prevent the fulfillment of the prophecy of Christ's resurrection were the first to witness it. They were supposed to stop it or make sure nobody could get to the body, and they're the ones that saw it. Notice what happened when they came to the religious leaders. It says, and when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Now, when they said the elders, that most likely that's the Sanhedrin. We've talked about it. That was the... 70 people uh, that met together, the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were mostly the priests. Pharisees were not part of the priests, but they all meet together. And they've got to come up with what's going on. They, They assume that the soldiers aren't lying that the soldiers are telling the truth. They just said, an angel came, rolled away the stone. We looked at it, we fainted. And, and we, what are we going to do about this? And so when they assembled with the elders and congregate and they consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Now think about this. They now heard the truth, but they're not going to accept it. They're not going to believe it. And so what they did is they gave a large sum of money. The religious leaders have a problem. Jesus is gone. The tomb is empty. What are they going to do? Well, they, as we said, they gave a large sum of money. In fact, literally in the Greek, it says they gave silver. That means it was a silver money. And so they, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, and they said, you were to say, now here's the story, you were to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. So what is the story? The story is Jesus' disciples came at night while they were asleep and stole the body. Now think about that, how stupid that is. You think that, I mean, think, think about it. The story, uh, all the soldiers were asleep at the same time. And that a Roman soldier, if they fell asleep when they were supposed to be guarding something, they were put to death. So you're going to tell me all of these Roman soldiers all fell asleep at the same time and now know that they're supposed to die. And then here's the third part. If they were asleep, how did they know who came and took the body? How could they know? So the story is, we fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body while we were asleep. And if you were one of the soldiers and you told them, and they said, we're going to give you a bunch of money, and you just tell people that you fell asleep and they stole it. Now, for a Roman soldier to say, I fell asleep, meant that it ever got back to their commander or to any, to the pilot or anybody, they would be put to death. So then they go on to say, and if this should come to the governor's ears, if Pilate could ever find out about this... We will win him over and keep you out of trouble. What they're basically saying, if it comes back and the word gets out, we'll go to Pilate. We'll give him a bunch of money just to keep the whole thing quiet. See, some people think money's the answer, don't they? They think money's the answer to everything. These religious leaders know what happened. How are they going to hide it? They're just going to try to solve the problem with money. You know, when you think about money, and money's fine, 
God gave us money. Money's not evil in itself, how we use money and how we look at money. But when you think about it, some people look to money to solve their problems. They look to money to make them happy. They look to money to make security. They look to money to have power. They, they look to money to have things. And there's an old saying that money's a lot like salt water. The more you, more, the more you drink, the more you're never satisfied and you want more. Money's the same way. Money never is enough. You know, it, the old saying is, how much money's enough? And you say, well, just a little bit more is enough. Just a little bit more is enough. Uh, Ecclesiastes has a passage that has six or seven things that talk about money. And uh, it's, it's incredible to study that because it basically says it, whatever, you, whatever you have, it's never enough. And you always worry about it and you're afraid somebody's going to steal it. And you count that as your security, those kind of things. So the more, m- the more people turn to money, the more dissatisfied they get. And so here's this money being given. Prof. Hendricks, money can't buy having. I remember Prof. Hendricks used to say, materialism has nothing to do with the amount. It has to do with the attitude. You can be rich and not materialistic, and you can be poor and very mo- materialistic. Paul said that riches, you cannot, and this is in one of his letters to Timothy, he says, the rich are not to trust in the money because it flies away. It does. See, Jesus is the answer, not money. And so the rich religious leaders say, if we just give enough money out, we'll cover up the problem. You know, the truth is this, they're not going to cover it up. You can't cover it up. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on the cross to pay for sin, and he rose again to conquer death. He's already been seen by Mary Magdalene. He's already been seen by the women. We're going to find out that I've got that little chart we're going to put up in a minute. We're going to see all the people who see him. In fact, we're going to see later on 500 people see him at one time. Now, some people say, well, they all had like little visions, like somebody thought they saw him. 500 people are not going to have the same vision. Let's just face it, and we're gonna, we'll talk about it as we get to it. So look what happens. Verse 14 again. If it should come to the governor's ears, if he should hear about this, we'll win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews, and is to this day. Matthew says that when he writes the gospel which we're, we're not sure many people believe that it was written, of course, before A.D. 70 because he, he never talks about the temple being destroyed or anything. So most likely this is probably, in, it could even be as 40, 40 to 50, you know, A.D. 40, 50. He says even, even at that time the story was still circulated that the, the soldiers fell asleep and the disciples came and stole the body. Well, let's think about the greatest thing of all time, and that is the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Some people say, always just say, well, all you have to do is tell people that Jesus died for them. No, you tell them Jesus died for them, and what? Rose again. You, uh, half the gospel, it, it, the part of the gospel is he died, the other part is he rose again, and you've got to have it, and that's why we meet together on this day, because Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. We meet together on the first day of the week. You remember the slide that, um, that I put up? This is the slide that talks about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. We've already seen that he appeared to Mary Magdalene and then to the women as they were coming from the tomb. We don't have this recorded other than Luke just says that Jesus had appeared to Peter. And then we're going to see two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We're going to see that one this morning. Then we're going to see he appears to ten disciples and Thomas is not there. All of this really is, is on this day, on this first day. Then, eight days later, he appears to the 11 disciples. Thomas is present. Then there's the seven disciples at the Sea of Galilee. If you get there in John 21, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Some of the others say, well, we'll go fishing with you. And so they're fishing, and that's when they see Jesus. And then there are the apostles and 500 believers 
according to 1 Corinthians 15. Matthew 28 is probably maybe where the apostles, where they were in Galilee in the mountains area. And that, and then he appears to the Lord's half-brother James, which is found in 1 Corinthians 15. And then on the Mount of Olives, as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, he's with them. And so over a period of 40 days, he appears to them. And so let's think about what we've seen so far. We've seen that he appeared to Mary in the garden, at basically at the tomb, and then the women on the way to the disciples. We find in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, that over a period of 40 days, he met with his disciples over a 40-day time period, and he gave them many infallible proofs. That's what the gospel of Luke tells us. So let's think about something for just a second. Let's think about, first of all, Mary in the garden. Do you remember? She went into the tomb. She looked there. The angel told her it was gone. She sat there. She's crying. She hears something behind her. She turns around and it's Jesus, which she doesn't know is Jesus. And he asked what she wants. She says, she thought he was the gardener. I want to get his body. And then he said her name, Mary. And she realized who it was. She called him Rabboni and she fell at his feet. And what we saw, she fell at his feet to worship, and then he tells her to go tell. We saw last week the women that were on the way from the tomb. They had already seen the angel. The angel had already told them uh, that uh, he's risen from the dead. On the way, Jesus appears to them. What do they do? They fall at his feet to worship him, and then he tells them to go tell. So that's what we realize, that when we think about the risen Savior, we worship him and we tell other people. We have another one that we, we, uh, that we see, and that's where Peter, and that sometime that afternoon, Jesus appeared to Peter. And I think that's very vital, because what happened to Peter? If you remember, Jesus already told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, I'll even die before I'll deny you three times. And Jesus started to say, well, you know, I'm God, and you're not, and I, whatever I tell you, you know what's going to happen. But anyway, Peter denied him three times, and I guarantee you that Peter is really upset, and Jesus appears to him. We have it right here in Luke where it says the Lord, where they say, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon, Simon Peter, that's Luke 24, 34, and then there we're going to see the most detailed appearance Uh, resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ. So if you would go ahead and turn to uh, Luke 24. So hold your place in Matthew and turn over to Luke to the very end to Luke chapter 24. And we're actually going to start at verse 13. We'll probably go back and forth in just a little bit. But Luke 24 and there are two people there. And we mostly we say two men and I'll tell you why in just a minute. I know some other people would like would like it to be a man and a woman and it could be but we'll we'll talk about it as we get there. So this is Luke chapter 24, look at verse 13. It says, And behold, two of them were going that very day. Now, that's the day of the resurrection. That very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. So uh, I say that there's two men. And there's a reason I say there's two men is because the, the pronouns that are used are masculine. So it's probably two men. Some people say, couldn't it be a man and a wife? And it could be, because it could just be lumping them together and using a masculine pronoun. But most likely, it's two men walking. And it says, two of them that day were going that day to a village named Emmaus. Now, they've left Jerusalem, and they're on their way to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Look what happened. Verse 14. And they were talking with each other about all the things which had taken place. Well, what are they talking about? Here's what they're talking about. They're not just talking about Jesus died and had, got, had died on the cross and was buried. They're saying that they 
knew that some women had gone to the tomb and that it was empty, and the angel told them that Jesus was alive. And so as they're walking and talking, they're saying things like, do you think the women, do you think it was true? Do you think he is risen? Do you think they saw an angel? I mean, do you think he's alive? What do we think? We don't know. And that's what they're doing as they're walking and talking. It says they were talking with each other about all the things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Now, I want you to understand that that's not unusual. When people traveled, usually they never travel by themselves because robbers would jump on you if you're by yourself. So you usually traveled in groups. Well, there are two people, and suddenly another person just starts walking with them, which is not unusual. Now, it's Jesus, but they don't know it. Notice what it says. It says, um, while they were uh, talking to and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Now, that means I think Jesus did something so that they didn't recognize who he is. And so he's walking with them, and they don't know who it is. Now, look what happens. And he said to them, now Jesus says, what are the words which you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? We would say, what are y'all talking about? And they stood still looking sad. Now, I want you to think about that. They do not have joy. They are not expecting Jesus to be risen from the dead. Even though that they've heard that the women had gone to the tomb, it was empty, saw angels, angels told him he was, told them that he was alive. Even though they've heard all this, they still are looking sad. Think about that. Sometimes we go through our Christian lives looking sad. I mean, we have Jesus Christ who died and rose again. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. We have fellow believers. We have our local body. We have spiritual gifts. We have everything, and we go through life looking sad. We need to show the joy of the Lord. And, of course, these people, they just don't know what to think. And so Jesus said, hey, what are y'all talking about? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them, Cleophas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? He basically says, You must be new. You must not be from around here. You must have not known what's happened. And so Jesus then answers. Notice he said to them, well, what things? What are you talking about? As if he doesn't know. And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and in word and in the sight of people, in the sight of God and of all the people. I mean, Jesus was the prophet, the mighty one in the sight of God and all the people and, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be the sentence of death and crucified him. They said, you don't know about all this? That they killed him. They killed the one that we thought was the prophet. And then they go on and say, and they give you really the details. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Let me stop for a second. They said, they thought that he would be the one who would redeem Israel. And by saying that, they think, they're saying, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the Savior. We thought he would be the one to save the nation. Now, I want you to understand, you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and the seed of woman is going to come. And then you go to Abraham, the first Jew, and through Abraham, Isaac, through the, there would be the land, the seed, the blessing. There would be the Messiah come. There would be salvation for the world and the nation of Israel. And you go a little further, and you see uh, King David, who gets the promise of a son. All of these things were told to them. And and they're looking forward to the one who would redeem the nation of Israel, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who would save the nation. And they said, we thought 
He was the one. But why are they so sad then? Because he's dead. And see, the Messiah's not going to die. They didn't understand that. The Messiah's not going to die. The Messiah's going to come in, and he's going to run the Romans out of here. He's going to take over. He's going to rule the world as the greater son of David. He's going to sit on the throne as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's going to run it out of here, and that's what we expected. We thought that was going to happen, but he died. Wow. But then they go on to say, but, but also... Some women among us amazed us. That, that word means to be marveled. We, th- this shocked us, so to speak. When they were at the tomb early in the morning, they did not find his body, and they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. They said the women, they amazed us because we, we, we talked to them. They said they went out there and they saw it. They're telling this man who, who doesn't know anything. They had been talking about this, but they said, you, don't know, you must not be from around here, but let me, we thought he was the Messiah. But the women went out there this morning and they didn't find anything. And then, verse 24, and some of those who were with us, some of the other ones, went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also said. But they did not, what? They did not see him. They did not see him. See, the women went out there. And the angels said Jesus was alive, but they didn't see him. I want you to, you're at Luke 24. Look back at Luke 24, verse 1. If your Bible's like mine, it's the same pages. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, the women, came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And the women were terrified, and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? (coughs) Why are you looking for him? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man would be delivered to the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again? He told them over and over, I'm going to die and rise again. And they remembered his words. And so they've come back. And so these, these two people have said to Jesus, and they don't know it's Jesus, of course. Well, these women went out there, and they said, an angel said that. And then other people went out there, and they found it just like the women said, but they didn't see him. They were amazed by the women, but so hard to believe. I mean, maybe the women just were fooled. Maybe it really wasn't an angel. Maybe they thought they saw an angel. And maybe the tomb is empty. And you know, when, when some of the others went out there, like John and, and Peter, and they saw the empty tomb and the clothes all lined up and everything. But you know, maybe it was just a, who knows what it was? Who knows what it was? But look what Jesus does. Verse 25, and he said to them, O oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets, that the prophets have spoken. See, the Old Testament, Jesus is going to answer, and he's going to say that the Old Testament pointed to the coming of the Messiah and the Savior. And it was not just his glory as the king, but his suffering and death. And see, what they didn't grasp is that Christ must suffer and then enter into glory. Let me read it for you in verse 25. Look what it says. And, O foolish men, and how slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter into his glory? He had to die before he reigns. Jesus has to die to pay for sin before he is resurrected and rules as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Lord's. The suffering must come before the reigning. And what did the Bible say? Isaiah 53, he's the suffering servant. He, he was bruised and wounds for our iniquity. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way, but the Lord has laid on him all of our iniquities. He's the suffering servant. And then there's the glory. Psalm 2 is the king, and Zechariah 9 is the king, and Isaiah 9, 6 as the king. Jesus said, isn't it, don't you understand that he must suffer before he reigns? His first coming to die, that's the suffer. His second coming to reign, that's the king. His first coming to die, to suffer. His second coming to reign as the king. Jesus says, don't you understand that he's got to suffer before he has the glory? He's got to be crucified before he's the king. The cross comes before the crown. And look what he did. Then beginning, and, and every one of us in this room wish we could have been there for this, and beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the Scripture. Do you understand when he talks about beginning with Moses? That's the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's called the Torah, the books of Moses. And then all the prophets. That's how they divided it, the law and the prophets. Jesus goes and takes the Old Testament, which is all they had, and teaches through it, showing what? Explaining to them concerning himself in the Scripture. The word explaining literally means to interpret. He's going back. Think about this. You know what he said? He said, the Messiah is the seed of woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. The Messiah is the seed of Abraham who's going to rule the world and who's going to bless everything. The Messiah is the son of David who's going to sit on the throne in righteousness and justice. The Messiah is the son of man who's going to set up a kingdom that will never end. The Messiah is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Messiah is the picture in every Old Testament sacrifice that something died and was a substitute. Jesus Christ was our substitute. The Messiah is the great high priest priest, the, high, the priest that was anointed and set apart. Jesus is the great high priest who offers himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever. The, Jesus is the picture of the temple where the outer part, where the holy place, the holy of holies. Jesus is the God-man in the holy of holies. He's in the holy place as the bread of life, as the light of the world, as the prayers going up. Even the feast days, that's Jesus Christ, the 14th day of the first month. Jesus died on Passover. Jesus rose on the feast of first fruits. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus Christ. And sometimes you, you ought to study, you ought to look through it. We've done studies on the feast days to show how they all tie into Jesus. We've done a study on the temple showing how it ties together. We've done studies talking about the high priest, who he is and what he's done. We've looked at some of the sacrifices. Jesus taught through the Bible saying, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there to hear that? To say, wow, I heard the living word teach the written word. Wow, would that be amazing? So look what happened. So they approached the village where they were going, verse 28, and he acted as though he was going further, but they urged him, saying, stay with us, for he's getting toward evening, and the day's nearly over. So he went in to stay with them, and when they had reclined at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it. Now, that's unusual because he's at their house. And usually the person at their house takes the bread and blesses it. He takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it. He begins giving it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Wow. Can you imagine Jesus saying, here, here's some bread. And he gives it. You know what I think, you know what I think they recognized him? Why do you think they recognized him? 
I think they saw the scars when he handed them the bread. And immediately they said, it's him, and he disappears. And you can see him going, where did he go? Where did he go? He was just with us. He's gone. But look what they say in verse 32. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Our hearts burn within the word of God. It's alive, it's powerful, it's sharp, into it, it's a sword, it pierces forth the division of the soul and the spirit. It is the way and that's truth. It is Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. They saw him. May we realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation for mankind. The earthly ministry, Jesus died and rose again. His heavenly ministry, he is the intercessor, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession and being our advocate for us. This is when we offer up prayers. This is when we confess sin. And then he has a future ministry coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is alive. Let me give you some applications and let's think about it. Let's realize that Jesus the Messiah, the Savior, is alive. Jesus was seen by, so far, Mary, the women, Peter, and the two on the road. That's what we've seen so far. And we're not near about through. Well, we got a lot there. And I want you to see a contrast. The disciples believed Jesus rose and they proclaimed. The religious leaders believed Jesus rose and they tried to hide the truth. We have a risen Savior. Let's don't hide the truth. Let's tell everyone that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died and rose again and whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Number two, I want you to understand, let's understand Jesus' ministry. First time he came to die, the second time he comes to reign. And think about his ministry. Earthly, death and resurrection, heavenly, intercessor and advocate, future, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And last but not least, just let's not trust, uh, let's trust in Jesus and not in money to solve the problems. Why? Because money never satisfies. Things never satisfy. You get something and you go, boy, if I just had that, I got it. And then you get it and you go, well, there's something, something else just came out that was better. You know, I got this new iPhone. Well, another one came out. Well, then as soon as I get that one, another one's going to come out. And I get this car, and as soon as I get this car, another one's going to come out. And, and I get this food, and I said, boy, the last time I ate there, it was fantastic. And this time I ate there, it wasn't that good. You know, I mean, so, I mean, nothing satisfies that way. And money is temporary and never lasts. And the truth is, we are eternal. And the only thing that satisfies us is our eternal relationship with Jesus Christ forever.